So, as our pastor mentioned this morning, we're not going to finish <laughs> Exodus uh, for uh, whatever planning to. So, there was no, no retooling this afternoon. In fact, what I, I thought we wanted to do is kind of circle back around a little bit, if we may, and, and look at uh, what I think is one of the most fascinating passages in all of Scripture. Uh, every time I, I read it and come back to it, I'm absolutely um, gripped by it. And so we're going to come back to Exodus chapter 33. So while you're flipping over there, just to kind of put our context back before our, our minds, you know Exodus begins with the birth of Moses, and then of course his, you know, his dealings early as a young man, to about age 40 in Egypt, uh, has to flee. Leah lives in the wilderness with Jethro and tends the herds for another 40 years, and so then is called by God at the burning bush at the at the young age of 80 to go back to to Egypt and be his spokesman and his hand to free the people. We go through the ten plagues. Of course, uh, the, several, the first several plagues affect everyone in the country of Egypt. We sometimes forget the next several do not affect the children of Israel, who for the most part are in northern Egypt up in Goshen, uh, until we get to the tenth plague, the one of the, of the, the reason we have the Redeemer Christ because of the, the Passover lamb which did apply to them and the blood on the doors and the blood on the, on the doors. And then of course the people leave Egypt. Uh, Pharaoh changes his mind, pursues them, they get to the Red Sea, and then the greatest cavalry in the known world at that time is destroyed at the Red Sea. And then we get on to the mountain of God where God first called Moses and he's going to receive the Ten Commandments there. You recall that's you know Exodus chapter 20, and for the next several chapters, God gives Moses more instructions about construction, application of some of the laws, construction of the tabernacle, and the people there in the camp. Forty days later, decide Moses may not be coming back. They build the golden calf. Moses comes down. Comes down. They deal with the golden calf, and now we come to chapter 33. So let's look at the first three verses here in chapter 33 again, somewhat context because now their journey is going to resume and they're going to the promised land. So the Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it. I will send an angel before you. I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst because you are an obstinate people, and I might destroy you on the way. Let's pause now and pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word, and we pray, great Lord, that you truly would grab our hearts and our minds today in quietness and in stillness and in humility and show us yourself. Help us to know more and more about you and your claim on our lives because of the wonder you pour into us. So bless us tonight, we pray in the name of Christ, your Son, our Savior. Amen. So, let's pause for just a second and kind of recap again where the Hebrews have come from. They've come from Egypt. Now, even as I say that, y'all think here for a moment, what you know about Egypt? What we all know is that at that time in world history, it was the dominant civilization. It was the greatest world power. Think about art, the hieroglyphics that we have all read about. I still remember vividly when King Tut was discovered. His tomb was found in Egypt, and one of those beautiful 
artifacts, a true work of art, was the golden covering found in King Tut's tomb. I remember going to New Orleans to see that, 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 that gold covering of King Tut and the absolute beauty of the artwork that's from this civilization. Think about architecture. They built the, the, the pyramids. They built the Sphinx. To this day, engineers are dumbfounded that the Egyptians were able to do that. Think about medicine. Uh, they were able to embalm and uh, uh, their bodies that were preserved for hundreds and hundreds of years. Their military was outstanding. It was feared all over the world. Here is the greatest civilization in the known world. The Nile River was, was extremely fertile, fed the people wonderfully. And this is the land that God called his people out of because they were slaves there. They were oppressed there. And God calls his people out. They leave Egypt. And they go through this situation of the plagues and the freedom and the preservation of their freedom with the destruction of the cavalry that came chasing after them. And then things got tough. They ran out of the food that they left Egypt with. They had consumed all the water they had left Egypt with. And now they want to go back. As we pause for a moment and think about all that God had done for them, why should they wonder about whether or not God could continue to care for them? But they did. And they wanted to go back, even though God had done great things in their lives. Are we sometimes the same way? Are we, some of us, friends, family, in situations today that they would like to go back? Oh, I wish my life was like back when. And these people are willing, are willing to give up what they have to go back. That can be a big question. Are you facing the trials and the troubles, the very things our pastor talked about this morning, those very struggles? Are you and I willing to give up something to get out from under those and go back? That's a big question. Underlying that whole question is, what is it I really value? Well, let's read on here for just a second. If you'll go down to verse 12 of Exodus 33, the Lord and the Moses are having a very serious conversation. And in verse 12, Moses says to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said... I have known you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways, that I may know you, 
so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he, the Lord, said, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he, Moses, said to the Lord, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. Moses had made that decision. Moses understood that where he was at that moment was exactly where he wanted to be, where he needed to be in the presence of God. Moses wasn't about to go back because he knew what was back there was slavery and oppression. He knew, he understood the trials that they had struggled with, by the way, before they got to the Ten Commandments there at the mountain. They had run out of water. God supplied the water. They had run out of food. God gave the manna and the quail, took care of everything. They were faced with the Amalekites, and God protected them in war. Remember Moses' praise as, as Joshua and her held up his hand in prayer, and they overcome the Amalekites. God took care of them. Moses wasn't about to go back. He knew that those trials, just like our pastor in, in reading Peter to us this morning, they are varied. They are temporary. And they do reveal the greatness and the wonder and the power of God Almighty. Think here for just one moment. In our minds, understand that on one hand is Egypt. The richest and the wonders that the world has to offer. And on the other hand is the presence of God Almighty who can do all things, the great Creator. Now, let's also remember, because Moses understood this, God wants to be in fellowship with us. You remember Mount Carmel and, and, and Elijah having to, to and taunting the, the, the prophets of Baal, saying, you know, you're, you're screaming out to Baal, wake him up, or maybe he's on a journey. We don't have to do that. Our God is always present. Remember Jesus and the woman at the well in John 4, when they're having this discussion about she wants to know where we should worship, and Jesus in John 4.23 tells her, listen, God Almighty delights for worshipers, worshipers to come to Him in spirit and in truth. God delights in our coming to Him. He's our Heavenly Father. He welcomes us with open arms. He is always waiting to hear from us. Furthermore, turn with me, if you would, over to Isaiah 49. Verse 14, Isaiah 49, 14, the old prophet, inspired by the Spirit, wrote this, But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, and the Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child, and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will never forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hand. God Almighty has tattooed your name on His hand. Every believer's name is on the hand of God. 
So maybe you're thinking, well, God's got to have a pretty big hand then, doesn't He? And He does. His hand is so big, He can guide us. He can protect us. He can give us everything that we need to be His people on this earth and then receive us to glory. Y'all, the New Testament way of explaining this is to say that we are in Christ. So if you would, turn with me over to Ephesians, the first chapter. When Paul started writing Ephesians, in the first 14 verses of this book, he talked about our being in Christ 11 times. So this whole idea about being in the presence of God, the wonder, the greatness, the delight of His presence is here in Ephesians, the first chapter, first verse. I'm going to start reading there and pause every now and then. But I commend this to you to read and contemplate later. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Y'all, we have permanently, eternally, God's blessings. Think about the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. Verse 4, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Christ Jesus to Himself according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed upon us in the Beloved. He chose me. He chose you. He just did. Why? Because He just did. Deuteronomy 7, 7. Verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Whatever I owe God has been paid. I owe nothing. Jesus paid it all. Colossians 2.14 says, He nailed it to the tree at Calvary. I owe nothing. Let's read on. Verse, end of verse 7, According to the riches of His grace which He lavished on us, in all wisdom and insight He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention which He purposed in Him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. God knows all events, all circumstances, all matters. He brings them all together, ties them up, all for His glory and our good. Romans 8.28 The very end of verse 10 now. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance... We inherit. We inherit. We're named in the will. All of God's creation we get. We inherit. Things in heaven, things on earth, in Him we also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, verse 12, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ 
would be to the praise of His glory. In Him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with the view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. This is eternal stuff. This is what really matters in this life and the next. And so that's kind of the choice. What's important? The temporal wonders of this world or the eternal greatness that God has to offer? These differences are very distinctive and they're very, very real. And so those choices are ours. Do we want to be like Moses and stay in the presence of God wherever that might be? Or do we want to choose what the world has to offer? Let's think about one other thought, and that is where Moses is standing there talking with God. We also need to think about where the Hebrews are going. We read that a few moments ago. They're headed to the promised land. God is going to fulfill His promises. Well, verse 16 says that there in Exodus 33 that these people want to be known by the name of God. And if you remember, Ben mentioned that as he was talking about this passage is we Christians, we are known as God's people. And so are, are these folks. They're headed to the promised land. God is going to fulfill His promises for them. He's going to fulfill His promises for us as well. Whatever He has called on us, He has promised us the presence of His Son, the power of His Spirit. He's going to work mightily and wonderfully in our hearts and our lives. We can trust that. So maybe there's a situation that arises where you are struggling with, am I in God's presence right now? Maybe because of feelings, maybe because of some things that have occurred, you've paused to kind of ask, okay, am I really where God wants me to be? It was very evident Moses. Moses hears God's voice. But are you and I? There's several things we need to think about. First of all, as Ben has mentioned to us several times, pray. Pray. Let's tell God, Lord, my Heavenly Father, I want to be where you want me to be. I want to be in your presence. You've put your name on me, so I want to be right where you want me to be. Prayer is so powerful, so important. Secondly, one reason God gives us His Lord's Day this day is to be a day to pause and think and reflect and evaluate what's gone on in this past week. Have I lived and acted and thought and talked like a Christian this past week? Have I dealt with some decisions that keep me right where God wants me to be? Maybe small things, maybe some big things. But Lord, is this where you want me to be? He gives us His day, a day of rest, a day of worship. And part of that worship is coming into His presence saying, Lord, I want to be where you want me to be. And He promises He will lead us, He will guide us. Thirdly, study His Word. Think about the passage we read in you in, in uh, read today in, in Psalm 119, that entire psalm we know is about God's Word. 
And the section we read today was very poignant about the power of His commands, the life that He gives us as, he have, as we have His spoken Word in our presence. Are we being very diligent, very deliberate, very dedicated to God's Word? Every day, that ought to be our life because that's our standard. That's by which we live. God's Word is so incredibly important. And finally, I would encourage you to think about the sacraments. That's another way that God pours out His wonder and His love in our hearts and our lives. When we baptize children or adults, that's a time for me to stop and think about my baptism, my vows, where do I stand? When we're asked to vow to live as godly people before the little children in this church, that's a time to stop and pause and ask, God, am I in the middle of where you want me to be? I will tell you, one of the great delights that we as a session and many of y'all have had when Bill Berry was here this morning is seeing what God is doing in Jonesboro, Arkansas. And we wanted to be in the middle of that. You know, we, we had no hesitancy when, when uh, we were asked as a session, would we take over being the, the oversight for, for Jonesboro? Yes, absolutely. We see what God's doing here. We want to be in the middle of it. And so those times of baptism, those times of taking the Lord's Supper, Remember, we always announce that at least a week in advance so we can pause and consider our hearts, our wrongs, our rights, our sanctification, and asking, God, am I where you want me to be? That's how important these questions are. And that's where Moses was. That's where Moses was. God, we're out here in the wilderness, the absolute wilderness. Nobody for miles and miles. But you're here. And if you're not going with us, then let's don't leave this place. Be right where God wants us to be. I want to close by reading a poem that was written in 1922, but was then later set to music by George Beverly Shea. Now, some of us re remember that he was the leader of the music for many of the Billy Graham Crusades. And this is, uh, the poem was actually written in 1922, and then George Beverly Shea set it, set it to music. And I remember it singing it in our collegiate days in our college Bible studies. So this is the poem, and I'm not there about to, about to, about to sing it, but, but the tune is not that difficult. But it says this. The first verse is, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be His than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by His nail-pierced hands. Then the chorus is, Then to be a king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Verse 2, I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to His dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to His holy name. Verse 3, He's fairer than lilies of rarest bloom. He's sweeter than honey out of the comb. He's all my hungering spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and, led, and let Him lead me. Let's pray, then we're going to sing our final hymn, and then our pastor is going to come and pronounce our benedictions. Let's pray together. Great Lord of heaven and earth, as you have taken your word and sealed it to us, we pray, Father, 
in these times of struggles and trials and temptations, help us to focus on the fact that they are temporary, they're various, but they make us stronger. You prove to us that you love us, that you are committed to us. And Father, help us desire with all our hearts to be in your presence, to be right where you want us to be. Father, help us to not focus on the world or all that it might offer, but to focus on you and all that you all, that you do offer. Father, help us to be in Christ day in and day out. Guide us and keep us. For we pray in the name of your Son, our Savior. Amen.